This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that would help us grow. Tonight, I have Dan joining me, and Dan has had some absolutely incredible Yowie encounters. He tells us about his very first encounter with a Yowie at the racetrack around the Blue Mountains, followed by his experience being face-to-face with a small hairy creature and many more encounters. But before we get into that, if you wish to support the show, we now have a Patreon. By becoming a Patreon, you'll get access to a whole bunch of goodies, such as exclusive episodes, high-quality audio, and monthly live Q&A sessions with me. There is still time to get yourself one of the limited edition founding members badges we have for the first 25 supporters. So if you want to help support the show, you can find links for that in our show notes. And finally... If you want to chat to other listeners of the show, simply jump on Facebook and search for the Believe Paranormal and UFO fan group. But that's enough of me talking. Let's get into Dan's encounters. Tonight, I'm joined by Yowie Dan. And if you can't tell by his name, Dan has had quite a few Yowie encounters. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Thanks very much for having me. No worries. I'm very excited to have you on because you're kind of uh, a bit of an internet folklore around this way. And... uh, the amount of Yowie encounters that you've had throughout your your life is is quite amazing. And I want to kind of go all the way back to your first Yowie encounter. Do you mind telling us about that one? Um, it was way back in 2005. Uh, I, As I've said before to other people, uh, it takes an encounter or a sighting to get you 
interested into Yowies to, or to believe that they are a possibility. So what I was doing, I was at Appen, which is just south of Campbelltown, um, which is, you're looking at 50, 60 k's south of uh, Sydney. Anyway, um, I was there at a greyhound track of all places. Um, I used to train greyhounds as a hobby. Anyway, I had one of my dogs there. And Athens a straight track. It's not a circle track. It's straight. So there's only two boxes, a 274-meter boxes and a 366. It was around July. So it was, it was 7.30 in the morning. And I remember it was on a Tuesday because they only trolled Tuesdays and Thursdays and I could only get there on a Tuesday. So anyway... I'm waiting for my trial. So I had about four or five trials ahead of me. So it's about half an hour wait. Um, and after waiting down there at the boxes, uh, all by myself, just with my greyhound, uh, my dog turns around and my greyhound had never barked before then. She was very quiet. And then she just starts barking frantically. And like, it's more like, a, you know, when dogs bark and then they bark where they're kind of half scared as well, like they're not sure what's there because she smelt whatever it was. I, I didn't hear or smell anything um, and because it's really thick tea trees down the bottom and you, you can't even see in a metre. And after a, probably about five or six seconds of her barking, because I'm like, Sally, what's going on? Like, And she's looking up at me like, there's something there, looking back into the trees. Anyway, um, this thing, whatever it was, it starts howling and screaming, come from something with a massive lung capacity. And then it starts shaking this tree around, big gum tree, which cracked all the roots of the tree. The tree was like laying on its side, holding another tree was holding it up. And then it ran off and it sounded like the biggest sledgehammer hitting the hardest ground. And I was like, what the hell is that? And then we ran up to the other boxes and the people said, yeah, you look like you've seen a ghost and <laughs> look at the dog. Looks like they've been electrified. So I told them what I, what I heard and they're like, oh, you know, we didn't hear it. We didn't see anything. So, yeah, after that, I got, I was a bit intrigued. Like, these yowie things could be real. That, that wasn't a dog. I wasn't a person. It wasn't a cat. It wasn't like a panther or anything like that. So, I've come back to the computer after I finished down there at Athens trialing my greyhound. And, um, I looked up the AYR, the Yowie Hunter site that had been going for at least 10 or 12 years before I had my encounter and looked up and, and uh, seen exactly what an Yowie was and um, tried to find a bit of information about it and told my story of what happened. That's incredible. Yeah, that's what I thought at the time. And I was like, uh, it was what I say to people is if I had a sound recorder going for some reason, it'd be like the best scream or how you'd ever hear. And um, it was probably about probably five. I'm estimating between about five to about seven metres away from me in the bush. Yeah, right. And what did you think at the time? Uh, I was just like, I don't know what this is, but it's like, it sounded like the scream and the how roar was more directed at me. To, you know, it was angry. It wasn't something that was just like a nice little howl. This thing was like projecting it towards me to like go away. And then... uh you know, I just took off after that. The dog, so I was so scared, and uh, I, I just didn't know what to think. So that's why I got on the internet and uh, looked up this creature and thinking, gee, the only thing I can think of that's got that is the mythical Yowie. So you know, back then I knew they were like a dream time story with the Aboriginals, but I didn't really think they were a real thing until I had an encounter, and I was like, gee, there could be something here. These people that have been telling stories all these years could, you know, be telling the truth. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing, and. 
for it to happen in such a such a public place, that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, but there's been after after I went on to the AYR site and I talked to Dean Harrison, there has been uh, a number of, of um, accounts of people seeing um, small yaois, like the smaller Junjudi or Junjudi. I don't know how to yeah, to properly um, say it, um, but anyway, uh, they've they've been uh, seen. In, in around the areas, I've actually done some research down there. And we had um, a couple of them kind of going around us. There was my wife and another fellow researcher. We went down there with a couple other people to research, and um, yeah, they they come down the ridge and they started circling us. And um, I don't know whatever animal will come down and circle you. Wallabies don't hang in packs. Um, there's no dogs. There's nothing else there. So um, yeah, but there's I've had um, witness reports on my Yowie Times magazine that I started in 2017, and uh, one of them was from that area. That um, one of the uh, fellow researchers who does doesn't really research Yowies, he researches the the Black Panther, and he said to him he was driving down Appen Road uh, and nighttime with a like a girlfriend of the at the time, and um, yeah, he ran straight across the road in front of him. Far out. Yeah, so it's an active area. Yeah, absolutely. And what I've, and what I've noticed is. Um, you can get on Google Earth and look at Appen where the Greyhound track is and an animal can walk from there all the way back to the Blue Mountains and not be seen because there's bush going all the way from there all the way to the Blue Mountains. So um, that's why, you know, they've probably come from the Blue Mountains and come in for food or they live in that area. I don't know. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a really um, horrifying event for me at the time. But now being someone that's researched them since then, I wouldn't mind having that happen to me again, so I could like you know record it on a on a sound recorder or get a picture of it. So it's something that I, I would like to happen again. But um, yeah, we just don't come across you. You know, you, I go researching and might come across something um, that's tangible proof, like once every ten times. So it's not it's something that pops up every week that when you go out. You know, you really got to plan where you're going. Uh, look up where there's been a lot of past sightings or put out some trail cameras, which I really haven't had anything walk in front, which no one has, Or but I'll get a lot of sound recordings and I forget some really good sound recordings and then I'll start researching that area, like go camping there over the night and see what I can get. You were telling me before we we started recording that you said they're more active during the winter time. Yes, Um even though I've 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 put up a um a survey and uh, most of the time it says people see them in the summertime, but with my experience when I go to the Blue Mountains, I'm only just saying this for the Blue Mountains. It could be different for other places like Queensland could be a lot warmer. They're out all year round um, and more active. But for me, when I go out and research in the Blue Mountains in the winter time, so you're looking at um. Anywhere from like um, May, June, July, August, they're the best times for me to get my best results, my sound recordings, and um, and just different things that you see, um, like different uh, structures and stuff from tree structures and that in the Blue Mountains. So that's what I call yowie season. Yeah, right. That's it's really interesting to to hear it from what I'm going to call a, pro, a professional's perspective when it comes to this because. You get a lot of people who go out and they they go looking for yowies and they might not know the best times or the things that they need to be looking for. So it's interesting to get that insight. Yeah. Like where I go, I always go off the trail. 
because you can see broken tree branches and everything right near a trail that's really used a lot by tourists. And how many times do you see people walk along and they just break a tree branch just for the sake of breaking it or breaking it off so they can swat the flies away from their face? So if I see something out of the ordinary, way away from a, a trail, um, then I'll take notice of it and then I'll like, all right, this is a good place to set my gear up and I'll research that area um, and then I'll go from there. But, uh, yeah, it just takes a lot of time to refine what you're doing in your methods. I know when I first started doing it, I took a photo of like a lawyer bird scratch, scratch some dirt to get to worms or something and it looked like a, a shape of a, a foot. And I took a photo and all the guys were like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty cool. But, you know, none of them, someone should have said to me then, hey, that's just a bird scratch. It's not a footprint, you know, which I thought was a footprint. So now um, you, you kind of get more experience the more you go out, the more you see um, different things and you pick up, like, we've been, I've been to an area recently where there was a lot of tree breaks. I've never seen that many tree breaks ever. Was a couple of weird things happened, so I know there was something there. So um, that was a, a really like a place where you don't come across often. You, you see a few tree breaks, but these things are really weird. And I'm um, going to go back there and have a look and see if we can pick up any more information or research the area a lot more and see what we, we like what we what we can get. And what are the tree breaks? Um, are they significant of anything? Is that kind of a, a territory thing? Is that a is that a, a structure thing to say this is my house or, or anything like that? Yeah, that's what. Look, no one's actually seen a break a tree, but when you see big, thick trees that are broken and they're snapped, and there's no like wood ants, there's no termites, there's no reason for it to be. There's no other big tree that's hit it to knock it over. And they're all facing the same direction. There's a couple of them, they face the same direction, or they're being pushed over trails. It's more like, to, this is our territory, this is the border, don't cross this. Or it could be a signal for other Yowies to say, hey, this is my area, you guys have that side, this is my area. No one knows for sure, it's just, we're really surmising, but you tend to, when you come to areas where there's tree breaks, you get other results like sound recordings of wood knocks or rock clacks or, or vocalizations. So it's, it's, it's always when you see tree breaks, there's always something else comes along with it. And what do you think the tree knocks are? Do you think that's just a, a form of communication? Do you think that's uh, a way that they can maybe communicate over a longer distance? Is it, is it something like that, or do you think it might be something else? Yeah, it, it possibly could be. It's like when we go out in the bush and, you know, you get a bit lost and you, you, you know, yell at Cooey. And now we hear Cooey, all right, they're over there. So a wood knock and you hear, you know, bang. Yeah, it could be like, all right, I'm over here. Yeah, they're over there. All right, let's go over to them. But I've been to places where it's more like, I reckon as well, is like I went to, um, I did a 55-kilometre hike from Canangra Boyd to um, Naranek. Um, last year, about October, we went about four days to, to do that. And when we went down to the Cox's River, um, within, I think, about 10 minutes of us getting there, there was tree knocks happened and they weren't, there was no tree knocks while we were walking down this ridge. It was really steep. We all had blisters. That's how hard it is to get down there on our feet. Anyway, um, yeah, once we got, we got down there and we started setting up camp, next minute, 
bang, bang, there was tree knocks. So it's probably a, a them saying, hey, there's humans in the area, look out. And that's something I've actually heard other people say because they they use it as a more of a warning rather for themselves rather than to, I guess, deter you or, or anyone else. It's kind of be on high alert. There There is other people around here now. Yeah, and and they've, they've got a few methods because um, I went to uh, Woodford uh, with a, a group of people there and uh, we went down to the, the I think it's all, all along there, it's called Glenbrook Creek, and I set up a trail camera and a sound recorder. And so I said, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll pick it up. So we camped there at uh, Murphy's Glen Campground. Uh, it's a free campground. Anyway, so we were there, but it started raining and we really couldn't do any more research during the night. So a fellow researcher and myself stayed up late, you know, having a few beers because we couldn't do much more than sit around the fire. And we had a big tarpaulin up to keep out of the rain. And um, everyone else had gone to sleep. And there was probably another three or four campers there. Anyway, um, we could hear wood knocks and tree breaks all night around the campsite. So we're like, we've got to come back here. So anyway, the next morning, I always wake up early when I go camping. As soon as the birds are chirping at 5 a.m., 5.30, I'm up. So it's drizzling, heavy rain. So I just put on you know, dirty clothes from the day before and said, look, I've got a half an hour walk to get to Glenbrook Creek. So as I'm walking there, I get to maybe 30 seconds away from where I had my sound recorder set up. And I didn't hear it, but it was a rock clack, like two hard pebbles from out of the river pebbles. So they make a nice noise. But because I've got my camera and I'm talking, my... You know, my attention is taken to me videoing the river and, you know, the creek and, and talking about what we might find on the sound recordings if we get something. And anyway, it was a rock clack. And it was more like them saying, hey, he's coming back. I get his gear. Be careful. You know, you stay in the bush. So that's another way other than wood knocks for them to say that, you know, there's humans around. Uh, watch yourselves, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really quite quite fascinating. And do you find the activity is um more active, I guess, when you're on your own or when you're in a group? Yeah, yeah. It's more active when when we go out researching, I won't have any more than like four people at the most. The less you can, the po- less possible. Like um when I've been out by myself, I've had really good results with one other person or three four you kind of don't get as much, but trying to make it two or three people and you get really good results. When you get too many, I think there's like too many smells, like, you know, body odor and stuff and there's too much noise and there's just too much of a feeling and they kind of like, you see a group of people and they just, they stand offish and you just don't hear nothing. You get no sound recordings of a parabolic dish or anything. But if you're by yourself or there's one or two or three of us, yes, we've had, that's when we've had our best results. I wonder if the larger groups are a little bit more intimidating to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I found. Like I've taken out big groups and we've just got nothing at all, not even a thing. So Now, have you had any other encounters that might have been as aggressive as that very first one that kind of hooked you on, on the Yowie phenomenon? Um, I have seen a small one, small Jundreddy face-to-face. It is on the AUIR uh, audio reports on the Glenbrook. Um, it wasn't really, it wasn't one where I said it was aggressive. It was just that when I've walked along the Red Hands Cave Trail, I could hear talking, like uh, Aboriginal talking. It sounded like young kids to the right of me, and then it sounded like teenage girls to the left, and then it sounded like adults up front, but they were like uh, Aboriginal kind of, but it was like a chatter, and it was like 
two words overlapped. You couldn't understand what these things were saying. And I was like, I've never heard this before, but we'll keep walking along. And I passed one other person, a local, and I said, is anyone else on the trail? And he said, nah. I said, have you heard any weird noises? He said, no, I didn't hear anything. So he took off and he was kind of looking at me funny. <laughs> so I kept walking and then one paralleled me. And I thought it was a wallaby at the start, but I've kept walking for 500 metres and this thing kept on keeping up with me and it was going through thick bush. And it had to work hard to get through. That's why I kept hearing it. Anyway, I got to a section where it was more tea trees. It was a bit open. It was more, sorry, paperbark trees, not tea trees. And it was open and I was kind of looking in thinking, oh, I might catch it walking in. And it was already got there and it was looking around the tree and I thought it might have just been a bulge in the tree. It might have been like a a bug in a tree, and you know how the, the trees get these funny boulders in them anyway. But when, and when it blinked and it moved its head about an inch, I, I started picking up features of it. And um, yeah, so then after about 30 seconds, it was all foggy and the rain come in and it took off. You're kidding. But, yeah, so that was only about three and a half foot tall. So um, but that wasn't a dangerous encounter. I never felt like, I think it was just more inquisitive. I just wanted to see, you know, have a bit of a bit of fun with me, follow me for a couple hundred meters, and then then it took off. And um, oh yeah, but the, I, I was in the Grace Valley there one time at Acacia Flat. I went down during a long weekend, like we, we've just had for the Queen's birthday. It was in 2015, and there was a few other campers there, but they camped right up right up the end. Acacia Flat campground goes for a, a pretty long way, and people kept walking past me, so I kept I didn't camp that far from the toilet. I thought. If I've got to pack up during the rain, even though the toilet stinks, I can put some of my dry stuff in there and pack up and then put it in my bag later because it, it, it rained a lot. Um, I probably shouldn't have gone there. Just the weather was, wasn't was wasn't good, but I just wanted to get out. So it took about five hours to hike into Acacia Flat from Govett's Leap. But anyway, during the night, I could hear a lot of tree breaks and there was about four or five, maybe seven or eight different things running around all in the bush, and I was just breaking tree breaks was just constant all night from like 7.30 to like about 4 o'clock in the morning. They were constant. I couldn't sleep, and I couldn't see much. It was pitch black, and um, everything I had was wet. It was just wasn't a good time to go in, like I said, but I was really keen to go and get some evidence. But I heard this howl happening. Mate. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Be a kilometer down, um, down the valley. But it kept getting closer, and I kept thinking, oh, I hope that don't keep coming close. So anyway, it kept coming close until it was virtually three metres from my tent, and it made this big, massive, raw howl, and I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, wow. And I looked out my tent. I got the courage to look out my tent, and it, and it was pitch black, and I could still see the silhouette of this thing standing there. And I can't – it's got to be up, up to towards – nine ten foot tall this thing it was just all i could see was a silhouette i couldn't say anything else oh wow and then once it gave out another noise 
I can't, I can't even get close to how the noise was. It made this big howl noise and it took a step and it was like it took a step and just disappeared. And then everything went quiet. And I was like, okay, um, I'm not getting out of this tent. I'm staying in here. And everything went quiet. And then the sun come up, but it didn't get light there till like 7.30 in the morning because you're pretty deep. But yeah, that was a pretty freaky one. I remember looking out and just seeing this black silhouette and just kept looking up at it. It was like a tall tree standing there. I'm like, and then all of a sudden, I just seen it take one step. And then when it took a step, it was about a five foot step. It wasn't just like our step. It was like three times as long as what we take. Yeah, that that's gigantic. That's huge. Yeah, that that freaked me a little bit. <laughs> I, I I don't blame you. I mean, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I think I um. You just kind of crawl on a ball and hope for the best in a in a scenario that like that, really. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a pretty freaky one. Um, I've had one at the Wadigans where people say that they kind of do like a um, yeah, we can do like a predator mode, and they just disappear, but you can see them, you can hear them running, but you can't see them. And I was kind of like, I wasn't really into that theory until I went to the Wadigans with um, a researcher, Adam Ward, and um, we've researched together for a, a few years. Anyway, we we went there and um. We had to go at the we're at the Pine Campground and we had to walk away because there was a lot of people there. So we said, oh, if we're going to go get anything, we have to go over the next ridge. So we walked over there and it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. Anyway, it was springtime, but it wasn't hot. It was 24, 25 degrees. And I said to Adam, look, well, I'm going to have to go down to the down the bottom where the creek is there but I said, because it's green there. We're going to get results down there. It's too dry up here. Nothing's going to be up here. So I've walked down there and I'm, filming and I've got the film at home here and I've just got a camera but I actually I had my finger over to like the microphone the, uh, the sound recorder on the on the actual camera and I'm, I'm saying to Adam something just growled at me because I'm right down the bottom and he stayed up the top and he's like what? what what do you mean I said something growled at me and the next minute it just bolts up the ridge you can just I'm going it's coming up towards you if you want to know what it is running, running straight towards you he's like oh yeah I can hear it so anyway it runs up and he's like, I can hear it, but I can't see it. And then he's like, I can see leaves all moving on the ground like it's running, but I can't see it. It's like predator mode. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I can't see it, but I can hear it. And he, so I could hear it run along the ridge, which was about 200 meters up from where I was. And then I could hear him running behind it, chasing it. But anyway, he got so far. Anyway, he's like, oh, there's people camping here. I don't want to really want to go out to the campsite. He goes, but it's gone. It's disappeared. So what it did, it did like a, it kind of did a, a, a D shape. It ran along the ridge and then it went around like a D shape to come back to where he was when he originally seen it. And when it ran up after I was, I, I'd, you know, it had screamed at me. So in that meantime, I'd walked up the ridge and climbed through all the vines and everything. And it was a pretty hard way to get up and down, but I wanted to see what was down the bottom where the creek was and see if there was any results, any footprints or anything. But, Anyway, I've got to the top and I've got my camera and I'm looking around. Anyway, I kind of see these footprints and I'm like, oh, because we've got little walkie-talkie radios. And I'm like, Adam, I see some footprints here. He goes, yeah, I think they're mine. I went running through there. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just happened to look up. And as I looked up, I seen it walk down about 50 meters away from me, walked down, and it was like its arms were swinging. It was probably six, six and a half foot tall. And it went into back, it went back down the ridge towards the creek and I'm like Adam it's over here get over here 
And he's like, and then he said, he can't run it over. So he went chasing it down the, down to the creek, but he couldn't get too far because it was all vines with the, you know, the hooks and the, and the, and, um, then it disappeared. And, um, but it, we went back there that night, um, with some, uh, night vision camera and, and the parabolic dishes with sound recorders hooked on. So whatever it records, it, it records it in digital sound and crystal clear. And, um, yeah, one, something come flying up the ridge from behind us, it stopped right at the tree line. But even with the thermal camera that we couldn't see it. Whatever it was, it just like it was there and then just disappeared. So after that I was like, you know, this thing where they say they, they can blend in and go predator mode and disappear in the bushes, I'm kind of believing it a you know, a bit because it's happened to us. So that that was a pretty weird um day for us. You know, I've seen it but when Adam chased it. He said, I couldn't see it, but I could see all the leaves in that moving and I can hear it running, but I couldn't see it. And I heard it run too. That's and I really, heard it growl at me. That's really interesting, Dan, because you're not the first person I've spoken to that has, um, who said something like that. And I, I don't know if this is, uh, if this was actually put on the air or not, but I was talking to someone who said they saw the Yowie that they encountered cross a path in front of them and it basically disappeared into Thin air. Yeah, I've heard that story a few times before this happened, and I was like, "No, nah, how can a flesh and blood animal do that?" But you know, I know Adam pretty pretty well for a while, and he, I know he doesn't. You know, he doesn't crap. He tells you straight to your face what he saw, and he goes, "I didn't see it. I just tasted it, but I could hear it, but I couldn't see it." And I said, "Well, it could have been something small." He goes, "No, nah, it was too loud, man." He goes, "That it was something running," and he goes, "Then you saw it, so how could it be a small creature?" I'm like, "Yeah." So yeah, it was, I'm still a bit mystified over that. I'll, I'll, if it happens to me again, I want to try and get more information about it. But no, that's, that's the mystery. Like people say, you know, it was there one minute and then it was gone. So what what is it doing? You know, is it got some kind of powers or something? I don't know. Is it is it kind of does it does it blend into the countryside work so well that you just can't see it? I don't know. Well, and that's it. I mean, it's such an unknown thing. I mean, I hear, I hear people's theories that they think they open up, um, other dimensional portals and they, and they walk into that to, to disappear. Yeah. Um, you hear, yeah. And you, and you hear that they, maybe their camouflage is just so fantastic that you could walk past one and, and never ever realize it. Or maybe, maybe they are a paranormal thing and they can just disappear. Maybe they're, they're more of a, a spirit type of entity rather than a a physical type of, I guess, creature. Yeah, well, when you look at kangaroos and wallabies, you go walk along trails and if they're standing there, you don't see them until they move. And they're just standing in the open. It's because there, you look at their coat, like especially some wallabies, they're dark and you've got the kangaroos and the grey. You look at the bush, it's grey, brown, black, all different greens from when it's burnt and when it's not. Leaves are dying, so they blend in so well. So if a kangaroo can blend in that well, you know these creatures are supposed to be around for tens, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. You know maybe they're, you know they just know how to blend in that well. It looks seems like they've disappeared, but they're really not. They've just you know gone to kind of like a I don't know some sort of they go they turn on a certain angle and it's just like they disappear. I don't know. It's it's really weird. I, I wish I could find out what they do. Well, yeah, exactly. And when you think of it, humans have evolved in a, in a way where we're capable of doing so many amazing things. And, you know, we started from, from primates, if you, if you believe that. Um, mm. and 
then you think of a Yowie and, you know, it's it's potentially on the same type of timeline of evolution. Um, and maybe this is just the route that that evolution has taken that it, it's got superior camouflage. Yeah, because no one really knows. Like everyone asks everyone, you know, people that like myself, what is it? What do you think what it is? And look, no one knows what it really is. And we don't even know if it come off the same family tree as us. It could be on its own tree. It's not related to Denisovans or Neanderthals or archaic humans or even or, or, or Homo sapiens. You know, it's probably got its own line. And then they've even said that you know there could be like a um, it could be like something from a like a marsupial ape or something like that's been said. Um, no one knows, so it could. It's been around that long. It, it's just a master of disguise, and um, we just don't know how to see it once it's you know, it gets into the bush and it, it and you gotta remember the bush is its home. Like we live in houses and the street and suburbs. We go we go there, we're going into its home and it's the master of its habitat. So, you know, we're trying to find answers where it could be a really easy answer. But, you know, until we know that, it's going to be take a while for us to find out. Well, that's exactly it. It's just kind of looking in the right areas at the right time, and you you might just find the answers that you're looking for. Now, Dan, yeah. before we wrap up tonight, I'm really intrigued about this juvenile Yowie that you saw. And when you said you came face-to-face with it, how close were you? It's, it's not a juvenile Yowie. It's actually, it was, to me, it looked like it was an adult of, even though it was only three and a half foot tall, that's how many held. They call them in Western Australia. I think they call them brown jacks or something like that. There's all different names for them, but that's how big they are. And I was about um, six meters away from it. Yeah, wow, that's incredibly close. I mean, yeah, what features could you see on this creature? Um, basically, it had it was either chocolate brown or black because it's raining, and you know, like you get blonde hair and it gets wet, it goes darker. Yeah. Um, so it's either really dark chocolate brown or black. I'm probably, I'm, I couldn't really say which one. I would say if it was black or brown, but it's one or the other. Um, it had really petite features. So it had like a gorilla type nose, but it was only small. So if you get like a big gorilla nose or big ape nose and then you shrink it down. And then it had small lips. wasn't really a big lips. And it had like small ears, but the ears were kind of dark. The ears were kind of like, they didn't go black, but they were like a darkish color, but its face was like a gray blue. But the funny thing was, it didn't even have a wrinkle on its face. It was like it had plastic surgery and everything, and it had Botox, so it had, it had no wrinkles whatsoever. And that was the really funny thing about it. And the cheekbones weren't massively high, but they were pronounced. You could see the cheekbones were pronounced. And the hair was like ours that went around its head, and then around the ears, but the hair was right along the chin line. And there was all hair on its neck, and there was no hair on its face, but around the chin line, it had hair. And But that's all I could see. I could only see its face because it was leaning around a tree. So, And this this um, uh, paperback tree was pretty thick, but it wasn't – if that was a big, huge animal, it wouldn't have hid all the rest of the body. So it was facing the same way I was walking along the trail and it was just standing there and it just had its head poked around the tree and it was just staring at me. And until it moved and blinked, I didn't, I really couldn't pick up any features. And then once it moved and blinked and then my, I started picking it up and then, but it had really round eyes and they were jet black. There was no white or no iris. So I could just see jet black eyes and it didn't, it only did blink that once. And other than that, it just stood still after that and didn't move. And it blended in quite well. If I did, if it didn't move, I, I don't think I would have picked out all the features that I did. 
That's amazing. I mean, I've I've actually never heard of anyone encountering anything like that before. There's been a few um, people. There's been a couple in Queensland when I think one actually came up and touched a guy. He was actually, I think he was like a, a army guy, and they were doing something, and he was laying down because he was tired, and it come up and it kind of pushed him in the back of the head, and you know, he kind of looked up and seen it standing there. And there's been, I think, Aboriginals where they've gone up to it, and one of them's been sitting on the side of a road, like right in the outback. So there's no cars going to be coming up, and they kind of looked at it, and they looked up at him and stared at him, and they all took off and ran away. So, um, and there's been accounts with, uh, I think, another Aboriginal man, he, he, I think he was on Palm Island, and he said they used to come around and play tricks and steal stuff and come in and push their beds while they're at sleep at night. So they're kind of crafty little buggers, they say. Dan, do you have any advice to anyone who might encounter a, a, a Yowie? Um, just, you know, if the, the best thing to do of any animal that you're not sure of, you know, just back away slowly. Um, you know, don't do anything like try and run and charge it or um, scream or anything. It, you know, they're pretty placid creature most times. You know, on the odd occasion, you know, depends if it's breeding season. And we're not sure what time that is, but that's what people say. Sometimes when they're angry, they're breeding season. But if you do come across something, just don't do anything stupid. Just, you know, if you, you can get a good look um, at what it looks like, because most times you'll take in everything straight away, like what it looked like straight away. It doesn't take, you don't have to be there for five minutes to see, you know, what kind of nose it had or how tall it was. When you see something that most people think that's not real and it's actually standing in front of them, they take a lot more in than what they realize. So, um, just back away. Don't make any sudden movements. Um, just leave it be and just try and get out of there as quickly and quiet as possible. And, um, yeah, I, I've done that one time myself. Um, but, uh, I never saw the animal, but I knew something was around. So I got that feeling that like a bad vibe. So I just kind of like packed up my gear and quietly walked out. So that's the best way to do things. Like, you know, you hear, you see a dog that's barking at you, you know, they say never look into an animal's eyes because when you look into the, you, their eyes, you challenge them. So you just don't look into their eyes also. Yeah, and that's probably for the best as well. So, And just before I let you go tonight there, mate, I do have I have a loaded question. Yep. What do you think a Yowie is? And like you said earlier, no one really knows, so there's there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to this, but it would just be interesting to to know what you think a Yowie might be. The only, the only, I've got asked this a lot, a lot of times, and I've thought about it at different stages um, of my research. The only thing or answer I can give is basically it's a primate because everyone sees it and says, "Look, it's gorilla, but it's got human features." So it's look, it's some type of human type gorilla creature. I'm not saying gorilla, but an ape creature. Um, it, look, it could be related to archaic or Denisovans. It could have even been an offshoot of humans um, and Neanderthals. It could have just been an offshoot from there. No one knows. But we know that uh, there's been the big ape, Gigantopithecus blackie, that's they've been finding huge teeth and molars in China. And they think it could be uh, descended from that big ape, which was up to 10 foot tall. So um, currently I'm in a making a documentary um, called Track, and this is what we're trying to find out exactly what this creature is. So um, Track's going to come out at the end of this year or start of early next year, and it's all about 
researching the Australian Yowie, trying to find out what it is, and then getting as much information we can and results, and then putting it in a documentary and showing everyone what we get. And um, we've been trying to go to areas that uh, are known hotspots or research that I've done previously and that um, where I've got results. And one place that um, I have got results before that we might do some filming is is up um, in the Maramara National Park where I, I actually uh, recorded some howls. And if you go on my YouTube channel, which is called Australian Yowie, and if you look up Maramara howls, uh, it went on and off for about 35 minutes. And these howls were so strong and so loud, it could not have been a dog or any person. And it was howling like it was trying to find something, like it was trying to find the other, its other clan. So, and then it actually come across the tidal creek in freezing cold water, which was about chest height because it was up near high tide. Come across, and another couple that were there were so scared they got out of their tent and they started a massive fire up in front of the tent. And my wife was there, and she refuses to go back to Maramara, and um, we recorded them howls on and off for about thirty-five minutes. And they were so strong and so loud, it could not be anything else other than a big creature with a big set of lights. Yeah, wow. Absolutely fascinating. Well, Dan, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely I'm, – I'm actually really excited for this track documentary that you're working on with a, with a couple of other guys. It's, it looks yeah. like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's um, – it's, we've had a lot of fun at, at, at the moment. There's been – but there's, there's been a few results already, um, but you'll have to, I can't give anything out. You guys will have to watch the um, documentary. And um, there's, Attila's putting out a few teasers anyway along the way. So on most Yowie groups, and I've posted them a few on some of the groups in America as well. So, um, uh, but if you look up on uh, YouTube, I think he's posting, posting them on YouTube as well. But um yeah, but I've um, one other thing before I go. If anyone, I write a, a magazine called the Yowie Times. If anyone wants to subscribe to it, or they've got witness reports, or anything um, they'd like to add, um, just email me at uh, Australian Yowie lowercase at gmail dot com, and um, that's been going since two thousand and seventeen. So in June, so it's two years at uh, this month, and. Um, so I'm always looking for article writers or anyone to add anything, any Yowie evidence, um, any pictures, anything you got, um, just message me and um, we'll, we'll talk about it. And yeah, the, the, well, going back to track, it's uh, been a very interesting um, time for us at the moment and we're planning our areas and not just going out anywhere willy-nilly. We're really researching areas to get the best results so we can have a really good documentary because it hasn't been a really, it really hasn't been a documentary for Yowies in Australia. You get all these Bigfoot ones, Yeti, ones from Europe, um, nothing from from for the Yowie. So that's what we're trying to produce. We're trying to produce a really great um, Yowie documentary that shows people like myself that go out and research them, what we do, what we believe in, how we do it, and the results that we're going to get. Well, mate, I'll be sure to include links to everything in our um in the episode show notes so people can get in contact with you as as soon as yep. they can because um I'm I'm subscri- I'm subscribed to the uh the magazine and it's fantastic. I always look forward to uh for it coming out every month. Yeah, thank you very much for that. I, I put you know I've been doing it for two years and you know my 
my enthusiasm for it hasn't waned yet. And, you know, I, I always say to people, I need, I, I don't do it all myself. I've got article writers and they are, they are fellow researchers. And, um, and so I write as many articles as I can, but I, it, I'm glad I've got a lot of help and I know a lot of, uh, fantastic people that have been researching a long time and they're, they're very knowledgeable. So that the, I try to make every month's is, issue as best I can. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe. And you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.